It sounds like you're pretty good at putting out fires. He goes, I'm good at putting out fires. I said, guess what? Coaching is fire prevention. You're listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. You're about to hear a conversation from sales leaders and industry experts about what it takes to translate sales knowledge into sales performance, how to change the sales conversation by putting the focus on building relationships and adding value, removing the blockers that keep salespeople from reaching their potential, creating an inspiring learning environment and coaching culture, and ultimately increasing sales achievement and improving customer loyalty. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Welcome to Mental Selling. It's great to have everybody back for our next episode. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and thanks so much for joining us today from wherever you are. Very excited for our next guest, and uh, this is Kevin Eikenberry. He is the Chief Potential Officer, which is a great title, at the Kevin Eikenberry Group. Whereas he says his quote, his goal is to help you reach your potential. He is a very well-known leadership expert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, consultant, trainer, coach, leader, learner, husband, and father, as he says, not necessarily in that order. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today on Mental Selling. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to be with you. I'm excited for our conversation. And, you know, uh, just as a bit of an aside for all of you, when you own the company, you can make your own title. And so <laughs> I created the title Chief Potential Officer with the goal of having a title no one else had. And with the secondary goal of people commenting on it, which, as you did, happens all the time. That's great. Thank you. So I've been really excited to talk to Kevin. And when we renamed the podcast Mental Selling, I was really thinking hard about who are some of the early guests that I wanted to have on the show. And I've been a fan of Kevin, Kevin's for a while. I've followed you on LinkedIn and Twitter for a while. And you've got great content and insights that I thought are highly relevant for the audience that we have. And one, some of the things that we want to talk about on Mental Selling, what you talk about ties in so well which is the role of sales leaders in helping their teams reach their full potential and why far too often that still isn't happening. I'm sure you've seen this, Kevin, in, in your work, but so often sales leaders talk about the importance of coaching their teams, but the reality is in the day-to-day, week-to-week aspects of their role, it's still not happening. And we thought you'd be a great person to talk to about this and and why, what might be holding back sales leaders from embracing this great responsibility that they have and great opportunity that they have. So I thought we'd start, if you want to say just a bit about, I'd love to hear about how the Kevin Eikenberry group came about and just a little bit about your philosophy and and the work that you're doing. Well, uh, I'll keep that short because we'd, I, I think we all would be better off us talking about coaching and leadership. But uh, so I, I left corporate America, 27 plus, 27 plus, 28 plus years ago, something like that, and started a company that for a long time was just me. The, the Kevin Eikenberry Group is the third name of the company, but for the first two, three years, it, not uncommonly, it was just 
me. Uh, and now I've got a team of folks that are spread across the United States, living everywhere from in every time zone, in every continental United States time zone, and including a person who lives in her RV with her husband currently, as we speak, in Tampa. So we have a we have a remote team and we've been largely remote or hybrid for most of the time that we've been together. There are 16 of us now, and we're in the business of helping leaders and teams be more effective and get better results. And I think if you were to say philosophy-wise, I would say that we're, we are in the learning business, not the training business. Uh, we really are in the business of trying to help create behavioral change so that organizations can get better results, so that individuals can get better results, organizations get, can get better results. And, and the, the most of our time we spend working with leaders in one way or another, and, and I believe philosophically that to be a better leader is to be a better human and vice versa. So the line between personal Absolutely. development and professional development, I think, is pretty blurry, at least to us. And so yes. I'm sure as we have this conversation, while we're having this in the context, Will, of uh, you know our professional work and as a sales leader, I, one of the be biggest compliments I always feel I get is that people say, I learned something today that I can use you know, with my wife, with my children in the rest of my life and not just at work. Absolutely. And that's the goal of, of this show and this episode. We want people to walk away with some very specific things that they can apply in their roles tomorrow and heading into the new year. So when you and I first talked about having you on the show, the, the general focus we talked about was to explore more in depth something that you did. You actually have a video about this on your YouTube channel about skill versus will. And we talk a lot about that at Integrity Solutions as well, the whole skill versus will aspect of selling and about being an effective sales leader. So I thought we'd start just if you could touch on that perspective of skill versus will as it pertains to leaders and maybe especially new leaders. You know, we uh, the newly promoted salesperson who was a top performer and now all of a sudden they're leading a team of people. How does the skill versus will aspect apply for them? Well, so first of all, I, I, I'm guessing that you know, but we didn't bring it up. I co-wrote a book about a decade ago called From Bud to Boss, and it's about that transition from being an individual contributor, in this case, a salesperson, a good salesperson, to becoming a leader. So we can certainly dive into that piece. But let's talk about will versus skill. It's very simple. Do I have the will to do it, which means do I want to, versus do I know how to, the skill, right? And so as leaders, uh, every leader will, I think I've ever talked to, if I talk to them for very long, they'll start to talk to me about the frustration that they have with one or more of their people that aren't doing something. Not doing something they want them to do, you know, whether it's uh, making more calls or whether it's, you know, doing a trial close or whether it's whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is. Like, and so they say, well, why aren't they doing that thing I need them to do? And my first question always is, well, do they know how? That's where everyone goes. Like, they're not doing it. Like, why aren't they doing it? Well, it could be that they don't have the skill. They don't know how. But it also could be that they don't have the will. They don't want to. And so want to gets at you know, do they know why that matters? Right. And, and one of the things that happens for us as leaders, especially when we've been promoted and we were really good at the skill, we were really good at the task, put it that way. We were really yes. good at selling. So there's a whole lot of stuff that we take for granted, forgot what it was like to be a beginner. And so like it's it just you know it's just obvious. Well, of course you have to close. Well, of course you have to make more calls. Well, of course you have to work to build the relationship, whatever it might be. And so we often look at that other person and say, why aren't they doing it? They should know. Well, maybe they shouldn't know, or maybe they don't know why. Because the biggest key to will is answering the question of why, right? 
Right. So do you think companies make mis- or I should say, why do companies often make the mistake, I guess, of promoting that quote unquote top performer into what is realistically a very drastically different role when maybe the makeup of the person that they want is one of their more middle of the road sales performers, but, but that that person might have the capabilities and more of the will, as you're talking about, to really be that effective leader or coach. Well, the first reason that it happens is people don't have any other criteria to use. They've not thought about it any other way, right? And oh, oh, by the way, the person that's making that decision went through that same sequence. Maybe not in leadership, maybe in some other part of the organization, but how do people in all roles get promoted? They were the good accountant. They became the accounting manager. They were a good salesperson. They became the sales manager. So like this is sort of what everybody does, even though most everyone would agree, it doesn't always work. But the people that have gotten to the point of making those decisions now were someone for whom it probably did work. So there's partly there's this, this is how we do it. This is the tradition. And the second thing is, we don't have any other criteria to use because we haven't thought about it. So rather, if we would stop to say, well, what are we looking for in this sales leader? What are the skills? What are the aptitudes? What are the competencies? What are the behaviors? Whatever words you want to use there, Will. If we would start there, we would start to perhaps measure or consider differently. But if we don't ever stop to think that through, we're not going to choose any differently than we've, we've chosen. And I have a feeling we'll go into some of the challenges that all of that causes for us as sales leaders when we got promoted when we were a really good salesperson, right? But I think it happens mm-hmm. because we don't know any other way. We've never really thought through how we would define what those skills or behaviors are for that effective leader. And too often, since we haven't done that, there's no other good choice but to say, well, we'll take our top performer. And in the instance where you put in, say, a top performer into a sales leadership role and what they're actually doing is is not leading, not coaching, but actually still trying to sell themselves. Is that what do you think is really behind, say, someone's that lack of will to lead? And, and what can you do about it? Are there, are there early indicators? Well, it kind of goes back. It's a little different in the sales world than it is in, in other parts of the business. But it goes back to, for the most part, it's ingrained in us that success is promotion. And so promote, to be promoted typically means we've got to go into a leadership track in most organizations, right? Some organizations are mm. creating dual tracks, whether that's in technical or whether that's in sales or whatever. But for the most part, if in our mind we want to be promoted, we want to be successful, that means we probably got to make this shift, right? So so that's one of the reasons people end up going there. Your The challenges then become, did I really want the new job or did I just want the path? Right. right. And I think there's a lot Do of things. I want the title. Yeah. The title, the path, yeah. the, I can't get to that next one until I have this one. And so I guess that's what I've got to do. And so people don't even always as individuals think about it as a, I mean, it's a choice, but they don't really think about it as a choice. Well, like, you know, and then of course there's the whole thing of, well, when, when we're being, when good things are being said about us, we like those things to be good things to be said about us. And so people that are saying that, and if that comes with a promotion, psychologically, it's hard sometimes to turn that down because that seems like, man, that seems like a good thing. So there's lots of reasons why 
this ends up happening both from the organizational side and from the individual side, right? And there's some things I think we're going to get at that we can do to, to maybe overcome that. But that's that's why it happens. And that's why once I get in the job, what am I now going to do? I'm going to do what I'm good at and what I'm comfortable with, which is in this case, continuing to sell. Right. Well, we talk a lot about how hard it is for salespeople to get out of their comfort zones. And I think the same applies for sales leaders. It's it's very understandably uncomfortable, especially early on, to be in this role where you're coaching and having sort of those deeper, more emotional conversations, trying to build trust. And sometimes when that discomfort happens, they start shying away from it and they revert back to either trying to close deals, just talking about what's on the spreadsheet or what's in the pipeline, talking numbers and to-do lists. And that's not what their people need from them. So if you think about the role of a leader, think about three circles that inter, that intertwine. So let's do it this way. You think about the MasterCard mm-hmm. logo. You got two circles that, that overlap, right? And two parts of our job as a leader are management and leadership. They are not the same. They are connected. They are both a part of our job. And in very short, I would say we manage things and lead people. Those two circles overlap. Right. But there's, that's still not our whole job as a sales leader. There's a third circle and the third circle sits below the other two and, and it intertwines with all of them. Right. So we got three circles and that third circle is what I call your work. Right. It's the stuff that you are still doing that isn't in either of the other two circles. Now, of those three circles, Will, just be be a new sales leader for me for a second. Yeah. Of those sure. three circles, which circle are you most comfortable in? Your work. Right. right? Which right. of those circles do you know the most about? your work? Which of those have you done the most of? Your work. So psychologically, right. which are you going to gravitate to? And, and this isn't about will and it isn't about any individual. This is human nature. Why wouldn't I want to do this? To, oh, by the way, which is the skill set that got me promoted? Your work. Which is the skill set right. that I'm most comfortable, confident in? your work. So everything sucks us in that direction. And once we become a leader, we need to spend this, spend less and less time there. Right. Right. So we need to delegate that stuff. And so instead of going out and, well, let me go out and, and just ride along with you today and then end up doing the selling. Right. right. Because that's what I know. And that's what I'm good at. Oh, I don't want them. So we justify and say, well, I don't want them to fail. I want them to do well. I want it to all go well. So I, let me just help. But it's not helping when all we did was do it for them. Exactly. 100%. When a sales organization is looking to fill a sales leadership role and they're looking across the organization beyond just sort of looking at top down, who's our top performer, who's bringing in the most revenue, are there sort of more subtle indicators that may say, you know what, people with these sorts of attributes, they might actually be really effective in this role? Well, you know, the interesting thing uh, about a lot of the skills that help people be highly successful as salespeople are also skills that are very transportable to being a leader, like hopefully being a good listener, like building relationships and building trust. Like there are certainly skills that transfer, but the, the challenge becomes in this particular jump, jump is the context changes dramatically right? The really highly effective salespeople are so focused on the customer. They're so focused on all of that. And we have to get them to realize that their customer is now their team. 
right? If we can help people make that mental shift, then we've got a chance for that person to apply a lot of those skills that they're probably have become very good at, right? So I would say, go back to from your organizational perspective to say, what are those things we're looking for in leaders? And what are those competencies or skills? And say, now I'm going to map that against my salespeople rather than, you know, make, I mean, I could give you a list and we would probably come close for any one of your organizations. I think it's far more effective to say, like, what are we looking for in leaders in our, in, in company A? And then let's map that back to what are we looking for very specifically in frontline sales leaders? Okay. Let's talk about, you You touched on this, this earlier, and I've also seen you talk about this elsewhere, the, the critical role of trust. And obviously for a salesperson to be effective in their role, they've got to develop a trusting relationship with their buyer. And very similarly, a sales leader has to develop a trust bond with their team. Can you talk a bit about, you have a something that you put out around following the person, not the, not the position or, or the title. And one of our partners in our organization, Larry Roberts, he talks about how people will only follow you to the degree that they trust you. Can you talk a bit about that aspect of well, becoming an effective sales leader, the role of trust? Sure. So first of all, if you think you're leading and no one's following, you're just taking a walk, right? Like they're like, it's, <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a positional component to our role as a leader for sure. But ultimately they're not following the position. As you said, they're following the person and who do we, who do any of us follow people that we know, like, and trust. And so as a sales leader, we have to, who do people buy from people that they know, like, and trust. So we need to translate that to say, okay, how, what do I need to do to be likable? Not be liked, but be likable. Mm-hmm. I've got to be known in order to build that. And then third is trust. So how do I build trust? Well, I don't build trust just by position, right? And if I try to do it because of that, then I might get compliance, but I'm never going to get commitment. And so we build trust in ways that we know we build trust in our in our lives, right? By making sure that intention is aligned, right? Making sure that purpose is aligned by having a level of consistency by which people begin to understand that's how and who that person is, right? And and ultimately, I would say this, if we want to build trust with others, I always like to start here, that trust is both a noun and a verb, right? It's something that we do. I trust Will, and there's trust between Will and I, right? So- the question then is, how do I get more of the noun, right? If I want more of the noun, yes. how do I get it? By using more of the verb. So the more of the verb right. we do, the more of the noun we get. And so as the leader, we must go first. Rather than saying, well, why don't they trust me more? Like I need to be doing things that build trust, offering people the chance to do something, creating an opportunity for people to go try it without us, being there to support them with a net underneath them, but not doing it for them as an example, only one of mm-hmm. many examples, right? By right. listening more and remembering that our team members need our ears more than they need our answers. So something I, I, I wanted, this is really good. And something else I wanted to ask you about, it, it's really, so we did some research probably, I don't know, three years ago, and it was around coaching and coaching effectiveness. And one of the things that we asked was just very basically, and this was to several hundred sales leaders, whether they felt coaching was critical to their team's success. And 76% of the respondents said it was absolutely critical, but not the same people, but just about the same percentage of people, a little over three quarters, still said that they were doing too little of it or no coaching at all. 
Why is that disconnect? Okay, so I was teaching a workshop one time several years ago with a long-term client. And in this particular setting, we had every leader in the organization, not just sales, every leader in the organization was in the room. It was like 50 people. And so that means all of them. So from the CEO was there, the, the VPs were there, right on down to frontline leaders, right? And we were actually doing a session on coaching. We just done some sort of practice session around a coaching skill. And when we were debriefing it, one of the VPs, Will raises his hand and says, hey, Kevin, he says, you know what? This is critically important. We need to be doing more of this. I'm so glad we're spending time on this. And I'm like patting myself on the back and saying, Pat, great job for reinforcing this to this whole room, right? And and that's the first half of your survey. This is important. Yeah. And then he right. said, but I don't have time for that. I got a, I got a real job to do. Right. Exactly. Great. Now, I, you know, so then I said, okay, Pat, so tell me what you mean. And he's a VP. Right. And he starts listing off all this stuff that everyone in the room and every one of you listening would understand, recognize and agree with, even though context is slightly different. Like basically what he said is I'm putting out fires. I got fires to put out. I got stuff to do. I got to help. I got to get through this. I got to get through that. And when I have some time, I'll go do coaching. Now, it's so counterintuitive. So, so yeah. So let me just, so what, first of all, let's go back to our three circles that I, we mentally drew. Yeah. He's yeah. saying I'm spending time doing my work. He's in that third bucket. He's not in leadership yeah. or management. He's in the third bucket. Coaching is in the leadership circle. Right. So I said to him, Pat, so I said, sounds like you're pretty good at putting out fires. He goes, I'm good at putting out fires. I said, guess what? Coaching is fire prevention. Yes. Oh, that's a great term. And there's nobody that's trying to put out a fire that's thinking like Smokey the Bear. Like while we're putting it out, we're busy putting it out. And so what we've yeah. got to do that disconnect is, yeah, we all intellectually know it, but we must as leaders now invest in it. And when the fire comes to us, see, you're teaching your people how to work with you. Hey, I got a problem mm -hmm. with this customer. And then you come in and help perhaps solve it. Right. What are they going to do next time? Bring again. again, because for, for two yeah. reasons. One is it's easier than doing it themselves. And secondly, apparently that's what you want. Got a good outcome. And, and then sometimes the leader, sometimes their eyes kind of lighten up. Like, Let's go. Right. And so like everything to them says, this is what, this is how we're supposed to play. So they keep bringing them to you and then we keep solving them. And then we feel better because it's the work we're good at. Like all of this makes sense but what we need to do instead is stop and say so what have you already tried how can i help i'm not going to join you or i'm going to join the, the zoom call but stay on mute right or whatever that yeah. might be and and so when those moments come those are the moments to shift to coaching do you think also sometimes there's a bit of imposter syndrome sales leaders who think you know that who am i who am i to coach them that sort of self-doubt, which again, is it, it's tied to the will thing, but that whole aspect of lacking confidence in themselves to be a, an effective coach. And they're, so therefore they, they find those fires to put out instead because that that's easier. Yeah. Because, you know, that's, that's, I'm busy, like busy. I, I, I did a video on this a while back and said that busy is the most dangerous four letter word because yeah. busy is all about activity. Like, and if I'm helping put out a fire that I'm busy, I'm active, I'm busy, I'm doing stuff, but I'm not necessarily moving the business forward. Right. And when we are leaders, we must lift our eyes and look further out, which means that we have to think about things in a different 
time frame, which isn't necessarily about today or tomorrow, but about the longer term. How do I get that person to a place where they don't need me as often for that? And so there's the imposter syndrome of I can do it, but I don't know how to teach it. And there's the imposter syndrome of I don't know what I would be doing if I wasn't putting out fires. Along with Perhaps that's all they ever saw from their sales leader. So they don't even know. It isn't even sometimes even will or skill, but like I'm not even aware that that's what I'm supposed to do, if that makes sense. No, that absolutely does. Obviously, with everything that's gone on in the world for the last 18 plus months. You no, know, soon we're going to have to say two years, Will. Just say it. I know. I know. <laughs> for a while, it was for the last year and it's 18 months and uh, let's just, you know cross our fingers. But so many people that went remote that weren't before, you know, you, you work remotely a lot. I work remotely a lot, but for a lot of sales leaders, they, they weren't. And that forced them into, I think, some really uncomfortable paradigm shifts. Can you, can you talk a bit about how you think the forcing function of having to lead remotely has affected people and what, if anything, where it's also created opportunities for people? Well, it's created all sorts of opportunities, right? And it's interesting that you asked me that actually, because, you know, it's in the sales world, and certainly in some organizations where they've already been leading remotely, right? They've got people spread out in sales districts around a region or whatever. So, you know, I often, I often, because we work with leaders in organizations of all sorts, that we, we have often pointed to say, hey, hey, there are salespeople, sales teams that have been working remotely for a long time, right? So certainly to your point, I know that that isn't all of them, right? But it is actually kind of interesting that that question comes up here because I think for some of you listening, like you have been doing this for a while. doesn't mean you've been doing it perfectly, but you've at least been doing it for a while. I think that yeah. the, the biggest opportunity that it provides for us is that we eventually have the ability to attract talent from anywhere. So our talent pool can grow, grow from, well, we're in Peoria, Right. right to something bigger than that. That's certainly an opportunity. And I think another opportunity is if you're one member of your sales team, you know, is moving because of their spouse, because their spouse is in healthcare and they got to be in the hospital and they're moving to a new city. They don't necessarily have to leave your team if they're if they're if they're happy and you're happy with their their performance. So I think there's a, those are a couple of very obvious benefits that can come from this. I think that you know one of the things that I've been saying now for. 18 months, Will, is that the pandemic and the forcing of sending people home, I think, helped many leaders realize, at least for a while, that empathy was an important skill. And critical skill. Uh, it, it always actually was, right? Yes. Uh, the thing is that in some cases, we had more of a clue, even if it, we weren't really as good at it as we could have been. We had a bit of a clue because we could see people with a puzzled look on their face at their laptop when we walked by their cubicle, right? Or whatever. It gave us a clue to jump in. But when they people became remote, we had all these new things to be worried about, concerned about. Not everyone had the same concerns or worries or situation, but we almost intuitively knew we needed to pay a little more attention to that. And if we did, it was to everybody's benefit. And if we did, it also was a trust build, right? So that's I think true. that yes. I, I have long been saying now that I hope that that's a lesson that many leaders don't forget moving forward. And so I would say to all of you, yep. if you learned that or if you noticed it, keep that on your radar. I don't know that it's more important when people are remote, but I know that it's it's less obvious that we need to do it and we have to make sure we make the time 
to do it. So I'll give you a very simple thing that you can do to get better at this. And that is whenever you're having your one-on-ones, which hopefully, as Will said, is going to be about more than just going over the spreadsheets and the numbers, right? But when you have your one-on-ones, start here. Start with, so how are you doing? In other words, start with how they're actually doing, what's going on with them, what they're, what's going on with their family. Like start with the feelings first before you get to the work. Because if you don't go there first, you won't, there won't be time. And by starting there, you're going to get some information. You're going to have the chance to connect. You're going to have the chance to build trust. But the other thing you're going to do is you're going to be letting them know by your actions that they're important because we started there. Then we can go in to the rest of what we're going to do during that one-on-one. And we could, we could spend a lot of time on the one-on-one meeting if you wanted to. But that's one thing that we can do tangibly tomorrow to start being aware of making sure we're connecting, making sure we're having interaction and not just transacting the business and making sure that right. we're remembering to be empathetic. And that goes back to what you were talking about earlier around building trust doing that and doing it in a very, very genuine fashion and not just sort of checking a box. It's, that's one of the critical aspects of building that trust bond with, with the sales. 100%. And and one more thing about trust and one more thing to to loop and to took those back together. There's, there's a variety of ways in which we can measure measure that trust is built. You know, there's different kinds of trust. There's trust in what people say. There's trust. I trust what they say. I trust what they do. I trust because there's a, there's a connection that we have. We like to call it emotional closeness. But then the biggest of the trust factors is what is their intention, right? And if I feel that the yeah. other person's intention are in alignment with me, they want the best for me, that they, they care about me, then trust will grow. And when we do what we've just been talking about, it's a huge trust enhancer. And, like, and as you said earlier, as a sales leader, you look at your team as your customer. And, and what, you, what you just said goes back to, you think about when you were a salesperson, you, had to do all, you have to do all that you can to make sure that your customer genuinely feels like you're looking out for them and want what's best for them. If they think that you're just, if your orientation is to you, trust goes down. If they believe and see that your orientation is towards them, other focused rather than self-focused, then trust goes up. And if you start your conversations with your sale, with your team members by talking about them, their needs, their concerns, what's on your list for us to talk about before you ever get to your list, that changes everything about how people, about the orientation that people see in relationship to you. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about is, so this podcast will get released in, uh, early January. So we're, you know, people are ending the year, they're kicking off the new year. A lot of companies are still having, amazingly, they still have, quote, annual performance reviews. What would you say to companies that are still having these sort of formal annual performance reviews versus ongoing regular coaching conversations? What are they missing? Well, the first thing is, I wouldn't say it doesn't doesn't need to be versus. It should if you have this event that you need for HR, the organization has them, fine. Don't think of it as an event. Think about it as the close of an ongoing conversation and the kickoff of the ongoing conversation. So if we're having regular one-on-ones, regular coaching, regular connections about how people are doing, how they can be improving, if they're reaching their goals, then the annual, the, the 
I used to say the form, the paperwork, but now the, the, the electronic yeah. thing that has to be filled out should not be a big deal, shouldn't be a big surprise, and shouldn't cause the angst and anxiety for you or the salesperson that they used to. If we're doing the kinds of things, Will, that you and I have been talking about today, those will. if that's the process, so be it. In other words, just have an, if you're having an ongoing conversation about performance, then, then think about that performance. The problem with the performance review is no one wants to be reviewed. No one wants to be managed, but everyone wants to be developed. So if we just say that's another guidepost in our ongoing development of our people, then we can totally change the storyline, the, the thinking about that. The stigma. The stigma, <laughs> yeah. the, the baggage, all that stuff about that. And related to that, uh, you know, one of our, our partners, Harriet Butler, she talks about how coaching does not need to be some formal hour long scheduled sit down, but that coaching moments exist every day. And that idea of having co coaching conversations can be done throughout the year. Can you talk a bit about that and how coaching can manifest itself without being some formal, you know, we're going to sit down once a week or every other week or whatever it might be. Well, you know, we've been talking about the one-on-one -on -one and I, and I think coaching can be, maybe should be a part of the one-on-one, -on -one, but that even then still shouldn't be the only time, right? When is coaching most effective? When the, when the student, when the, when the coachee is ready, when they're open, when there's a teachable moment, when there's a challenge, when there's an opportunity, when there's a success story. So, so it should be, not just episodic, not just event-based, but a part of the ongoing conversation that you're having with folks. And so both formal and informal. And maybe that, you know, back to one of the things we talked about earlier, Will, maybe that's one of the ways to help all of us as sales leaders be more comfortable with coaching is, is I don't have to get it right in this 45-minute thing. I'm planning out this meeting. But rather, how do I think about coaching as the way I conduct my conversations with my folks? That's a good perspective. That's really good. Last question I have, because again, we're, we're kicking off the new year and everybody wants to get started off on the right foot and, and hit the ground running, especially as a salesperson and sales leaders. What is, what's one piece of advice that you would give to sales leaders for 2022 on, on how they can connect better with their people and, and get the best out of them heading into the new year? Well, you're going to have sales goals, right? Confident. You probably already got them or you're soon going to have them. And too often we make it all about that target when I believe it should be more about the why. Make sure that your folks are remembering why we're selling, how we're benefiting the customer or their customer, right? If we keep the why in context, we got a much better chance of reaching the target, first of all. But the more that it becomes about the target solely rather than the underlying purpose, reason, or why, the more we end up, we'll, we will end up feeling like we're pushing. And the more people will feel like they're being pushed as opposed to we're moving together toward this valuable desired outcome. And if we're doing that, the targets will more likely, in general anyway, take care of themselves. That's great. Thank you so much. All right. We are going to end with, I think I told you about this in advance, three fun questions they're three well, they're fun, fun to you. Ask. They're, fun, they're fun to me, <laughs> but I'm the host. So, so if I think they're fun, we're going to go. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> question one, what's a movie 
that everyone seems to like, everyone in the world seems to like, but that you really secretly dislike? I don't know if it's dislike, but I have no desire or need to ever see it again. And that's Star Wars or any, any of its brethren. Ah, okay. When my dad first saw it, I was probably in high school, I think. And he came home and he said, it's a Western in space. And I happen to like <laughs> Westerns, so but I don't really care for any of it. Don't find that other people do. Not my thing. You know what mine is? What? Annie Hall. I find it unwatchable. Everybody loves Annie Hall. I turned it off after like 45 minutes. I was like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with you turning it off is my point. So second question. Now you live in the Indianapolis area. If other than where you live today, what's a city or a region that you would most want to live in? Well, 100% it would be at my farm in Michigan where I grew up that I own with my sister and my wife and I have bought more property nearby it. And so 100% it would be in Western Michigan, both for lots of reasons, certainly my because of my heritage there, but it's I've lived here for well over 25 years, but that's still home. That's great. And last question. If you didn't have the career that you have today, what would you have wanted to become otherwise? Well, I, I guess I'm glad you told me you were going to ask me this because my, my here's how I would have answered. But first, I would have said, I have no flipping idea because I believe I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. I, I really, truly do. But I also want to answer your question. So I did think about it a little bit and and I... You know, when I was a kid, well, other than, you know, have, having been in the NBA and now being a color analyst, which, you know, that would have probably been a really good thing for me, but oh, yeah. would not have ever happened. So that I think would have been a thing if we're going to be silly about it. But I remember when I was a kid, my mom saying to me once, you'd be really good on the radio because you have a really good memory about stuff and you can talk. And I find that now I find myself on this side of the mic being interviewed, but also on the other side of the mic as the, as a podcaster and as a doing live, lots of live video. So, so maybe that other thing that I might've ended up doing, I'm kind of doing anyway. True. In a way. Yeah. You have a great voice for radio. <laughs> Notice everybody. He didn't say, you know, at least he didn't say I have a face for radio, which is of course the way of saying <laughs> that we don't want to look at you, but yeah. I, I appreciate that will. And I have certainly appreciated our time today a whole lot. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you for joining us, Kevin. I'd like to thank the audience for joining us today. Kevin's website is kevineikenberry.com. That's E-I-K-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y. You can also follow him on Twitter, the way I do, at, Kev at Kevin Eikenberry. And on LinkedIn, he also has a great YouTube channel with a lot of uh, resources as well as, what is the name of your own podcast, Kevin? It's the Remarkable Leadership Podcast. You just go to remarkablepodcast.com or just look up Remarkable Leadership Podcast wherever you happen to listen. It's pretty much everywhere. Great. So hopefully everybody checks that out. For our audience, please remember you'll be able to find this episode and all of our mental selling podcast episodes at integritysolutions.com. You can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at sell underscore integrity or on LinkedIn. And as always, thank you to everyone for joining us. Uh, and listening to Mental Selling. We appreciate your time. We hope that you found this helpful. I know I did. Kevin, you've been a tremendous guest. Thank you again so much. We have some great ideas that I think whether you're a salesperson or a sales leader, a veteran sales leader or a newly promoted one, hopefully you've got, I think, some really good ideas about how you can reframe your mindset around helping your team. And uh, as Kevin says, be more remarkable and uh, look for another 
additional episodes soon. And until then, make it a great day. And we'll look forward to having you with us again next time. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions. Thank you, Kevin. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Have a great day. At Integrity Solutions, we believe you need a different approach to sales and service to succeed in tomorrow's world. We know that sales performance isn't just about what you know, it's about who you are. We are performance experts who enable sales teams to build trusted customer relationships with integrity at their core. For over 50 years, Integrity Solutions has specialized in award-winning, innovative sales, service, and coaching training solutions that fuel performance, grow talent, lift up customers, and elevate leaders. Our solutions connect knowledge, skills, and values to help our clients embrace their roles with a greater sense of purpose and outperform year after year. No one is better at unleashing the mental side of selling. Learn more about our unique approach and the clients and industries we proudly serve at IntegritySolutions.com. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.